today we're going to be talking about um, an underdog. Do you like underdog stories? Yeah, they're, they, they're, there's great storylines. And I know that we've seen lots of movies that uh, are related to underdog stories. And, you know, as I said a little earlier, I'm thinking of the Chicago Cubs. You know, and what great underdog story this is. Do you know the last time the Chicago Cubs won the World Series? Yeah, over a hundred years ago, 1908, they had a World Series title. You know, if you'll Google um, things that have happened since the Chicago Cubs won the World Series, I mean, it's a hoot. And uh, let me just share a couple with, with you this morning. Since the Chicago Cubs have won the World Series, uh, the Titanic was built, sailed, sank, and was rediscovered. <laughs> um, Wrigley Field, since they've won the World Series, Wrigley Field was built and is now the oldest stadium in baseball. There have been 14 new baseball teams come into existence since the Chicago Cubs won the World Series. But this is the saddest one of all. Harry Carey, you remember Harry Carey? He was the beloved announcer for uh, the Chicago Cubs. He announced uh, Chicago baseball games for 16 years, his last 16 years. Harry Carey was born and died since the Chicago Cubs won the World Series. How sad is that? He never saw his beloved team win the championship. But what makes this this season so interesting this year is that if you've seen the movie Back to the Future 2, (laughs) in the movie... Uh, they predicted that the Chicago Cubs would win the World Series in 2015. Wow, what if that were to happen? Quite quite a storyline. Well, we're in our origin series, and uh, last, uh, last week we looked at Engedi and what God did with uh, miracul- how God miraculously provided for David in Engedi. And uh, this morning... We're uh, looking at Mount Gilboa and what God did uh, with Gideon at Mount Gilboa. When we talk about underdogs, Gideon was a real underdog. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to John chapter 6. And in John chapter 6, Israel was going through a bad time. Oh, I'm sorry, Judges chapter 6. Um, they, uh, they were not doing, uh, they were doing evil in the sight of the Lord, the Bible says in verse 1. And because they were doing evil in the sight of the Lord, God sent the Midianites. And the Midianites made life miserable for Israel. In fact, Israel had been in the hands of the Midianites for the last seven years. And uh, what was happening was that uh, Israel, they were, um, they were working the fields. They were getting ready for the harvest. And every har- harvest, the Midianites would come 
and they would steal all the produce of the harvest. And so there was a lot of famine going on at this point. And they were crying out to God um, that, that God would spare them from the Midianites. But uh, God says in verse 8, Hey, I sent you a prophet and told you what you needed to do, but you wouldn't listen to him. And so here we come on uh, verses 12 through 16 this morning. And that's what I want to read as uh, we look at this story this morning. Verse 12. And the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, Please, sir, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to Gideon and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of the Midians. Do not, do not I send you? And he said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, I'm from the weakest, uh, I am the, I'm sorry, I am the, Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, But I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. I want you to see this morning this Gideon, whom God has appointed as as judge of Israel. He's going to be a military leader of Israel. You can see this about Midian or Gideon. Gideon is weak. Look what he says in verse 15. But Lord, Gideon asks, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I am the least in my family. Gideon doesn't feel, think very highly of himself. And yet I want you to see this morning that in Gideon's weakness, God sees Gideon as a mighty warrior. Look at verse 12. Verse 12 says, And when the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. That's how God saw Gideon. Gideon wasn't very confident about this. Uh, he did not see himself as the deliverer. And so he talked, he took some time with this angel of the Lord. And he said, now just wait here. I, I want to commune with you for a while. And Gideon got some food and he uh, communed with the, 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 the angel of the Lord and uh, came to the realization that God was calling him. And in that call, God told Gideon, now I want you to take the the high, I want you to go to the high place and I want you to tear down the altar to Baal. And so Gideon heard that. And so 
The Bible says in the, in the nighttime, when no one saw him, he went and tore down the altar to Baal. Well, when the Midianites and the Amalekites saw what Gideon had done, they were infuriated. And so they called other ites together, and they pulled together an army. And the Bible says this army uh, numbered 135,000 soldiers. And so here Gideon is. He's been obedient to God. Now he has even a bigger problem on his hand. You know, how is he going to fight against uh, his enemies? Because Gideon is looking at his army. And Gideon's army numbers 32,000 people. 32,000 people versus 144,000 people. Gideon's having some doubt. And so Gideon goes to God and says, God, I need to know that you're in this with me. So I'm going to make you a deal. And you know the story about the fleece, okay? He uh, laid out this fleece. And he said, God, if this fleece is wet in the morning and the ground around it is dry, I know that you're with me. So he got up the next morning, lo and behold, the fleece was wet, the ground was dry, and he's thinking to himself, well, maybe this was a natural phenomenon. Maybe the ground evaporated before I got up and the fleece was wet. The Bible says that Gideon took the fleece and he wrung the fleece and uh, it filled the bowl of water. And he went back to God and said, God, I'm going to make you another deal. This time, you make the fleece dry and the ground wet. And Midian, or Gideon got up the next morning, fleece was dry, and the ground was wet, and Gideon knew what he had to do. But the story doesn't end there. God's looking at Israel, Gideon's army, and he's thinking to himself, Gideon, you got too many men. 32,000 people, soldiers, you know, when they defeat this army, uh, they're going to want to take the credit because there were 32,000 of them. So I want you to go to your army, Gideon, and I want you to say, you know, if any of you guys are afraid, <laughs> I know there's 135,000 others that uh, we're about to go to battle against. If any of you are afraid, you're free to go home. Well, guess what? 22,000 went home. And Gideon's thinking to himself, oh, great. Now I'm stuck with a smaller team. And God looks at Gideon's army and he says, too many guys. And God tells Gideon, I want you to go to this, to this, this, uh, this stream. And uh, for uh, Bible scholars today, they believe that that place where there was water from, for people to drink from was Mount Gilboa, at the base of Mount Gilboa. I have a picture of uh, Mount Gilboa that I want to show you. Um, this, is, uh, this is one of those springs, again, like uh, we looked at last week about in Getty. Well, this is a spring that's coming up from the base of uh, Mount Gilboa. And uh, God tells Gideon, 
uh, Gideon, I want your men to drink from this stream. And I want, I want you to watch them drink. And those who drink like dogs, who lap the water like dogs, those are the men that I want you to choose for your army. And so of these 10,000 soldiers that were left, guess how many lapped as a dog? 300. Gideon is left with 300 men. Everyone else was free to go home. Question, has anybody ever watched somebody drink water lapping like a dog? I've never seen it. And yet there were 300 men who did this. And this, this is who Gideon is left with. Gideon is facing impossible odds. I want to submit to you this morning, church, that Gideon is a picture of our lives. There's times in our life, and some of you can testify, or maybe you haven't been there yet, but there are going to be moments when you and I are going to face impossible odds. I want you to know that Gideon was weak and that we are weak. But in our weakness, just as, as Gideon saw himself as weak, God saw him as a mighty warrior. You can't forget that. And you know what? As weak Christians today, God sees us as mighty warriors as well. Look at Romans chapter 8, verse 37. Paul says this, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We are more than conquerors. We are mighty warriors. Now I need for you to understand the context of that verse. Go to Romans chapter 8 for a moment, okay? Romans chapter 8. God says that we are more than conquerors, but look at the verse before and after. I'm going to start with verse 35. Paul says this, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Verse 37, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, heights, or depths, anything else in all creation 
will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Church, we are more than conquerors, Paul says. But that doesn't mean that we're living on top of the world. Paul wrote those things in the midst of tribulation. In verse um, in verse 36, we don't have time to read this this morning, but I'd like for you to write 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 9 through 13. Some incredible bad things were happening in Paul's life. But Paul knew that these things were happening as a testimony for others and to the glory of God. And he knew that even in the midst of pain and suffering, that he was more than a conqueror. You need to understand this truth, church. With God, no matter what circumstances are happening in your life with God, you are never the underdog. God plus a a person who trusts him is the majority, is the winner. And I want you to, I want to ask the question this morning is how big is your God? I'm not talking about how big your God is when you're out on Silver Lake catching that uh, 20-inch trout, you know, and life is good and the water's clear and calm. No. How big is your God when things are difficult? When you look at obstacles, are you thinking to yourself, and do you know beyond a shadow of doubt that God is greater than your obstacle? Or is your obstacle, your giant, greater than God? Think about the students in that Oregon classroom on that community college last week. As evil was staring them in the face with a gun and asking them the question, Are you a Christian? Was their God greater? Absolutely. But you're here this morning, you're saying, but pastor, they died. The Bible says to live is Christ, to die is gain. They knew the consequences of their answer. And they knew their God was bigger. When our God is big, church, we can't hide him. Nothing, nothing is greater than God. We are more than conquerors. We can't hide him. I sat at a table uh, Monday night with a, a lady who knew how big her God was. And uh, she was giddy about telling her story. Um, she, uh, she, w- she found out last uh, March that she had lung cancer. It wasn't, it wasn't stage four lung cancer, but it was serious lung cancer. I sit next to uh, Gary, 
uh, on the North American Mission Board uh, as trustee. And he told this, uh, this story to the, the trustees in that meeting that last March with tears in his eyes, knowing what his wife was going through and what she was about to face. And uh, she had a rough go of it with chemotherapy. After uh, several rounds of chemotherapy, Gary was saying that uh, he didn't feel like she had much longer. Well, she had been to the doctor and she had gotten a, um, a tube put in her chest uh, to drain fluids from. And she was at this uh, cardiologist um, uh, just having a, ch- a checkup appointment. And uh, it was during her lunch hour. And she was in a real hurry. And the doctor was next door to her and having a conversation with an elderly couple. And the, the couple kept asking him question after question after question. And, and uh, you know, she was getting impatient because she needed to go. She knew that the doctor wanted to get out of there, but they kept having questions. Finally, uh, the doctor was able to leave and come into uh, her room. And it was just a real quick conversation, and everything was fine. He gave her some instructions, and she hurried off. Well, while she was leaving the office and getting into the elevator, uh, she saw the, this, uh, the elderly couple coming out of the doctor's office, shuffling to the elevator. And here the elevator doors are closing, closing and she's saying, oh, good, because i got to get going but felt really guilty about not holding the door open for them. And so finally stuck her arm out, and the doors went back open, and uh, they came into the elevator. Well, apparently he asked the question, you know, uh, why were you here to see the doctor? And she says, well, I have, I have lung cancer, and I was here for a drainage tube uh, uh, this week. And when he heard cancer, lung cancer, he went like this against, against the, the wall of the elevator. And uh, she was wondering, did I, did I say something wrong? How do I look? And, and uh, he was just kind of flabbergasted at that point. And the um, <clears throat> elevator went down to the, the, the <clears throat> floor and the doors open. And again, she was in a hurry. And so she quickly took off to her uh, back to work. Well, that night... Um, that couple went home, and uh, that gentleman had a dream. And in the dream, God told him that he needed to find that lady and pray for her. So the next morning, he got up, and he called the doctor's office. He didn't even know her name. He explained to the receptionist, you know, who this person was, and can he have her phone number? And the receptionist says, well, sir, there's, there's HIPAA laws. We just can't give out patients' phone numbers. He said, but you don't understand. God told me that I needed to pray for this lady. And so she went to the doctor. The doctor was a Christian. And the doctor said, give him the phone number. So he took the phone number. He called her at the house. Cheryl answers the phone. And uh, she knows who it is, but she has no... You know, she doesn't know who this person is. And uh, he was wanting to come over and pray with her. And I said, sir, I don't know you. And finally decided, well, meet me at work. And uh, so he meets her at work. And uh, 
He says, after you left the elevator, my wife and I tried to try to get your attention, but you were running to your car and we couldn't, we didn't have an opportunity to pray with you. But uh, I had a dream last night and God told me that uh, where your, where your cancer is, it's in your right lower and upper lobe of your lung. She said, you're absolutely right. He said, you have to understand why I reacted the way I did yesterday. When you told me that you had cancer, and I responded like that, God told me to pray for you. And I was disobedient. And then I had this dream last night, and I knew I had to come see you. Because here's my story. He said 20 years ago, he was stage 4 cancer. Uh, Doctors had told them, you just only have a couple weeks to live. You make, make sure that your affairs are in order. And uh, he went to church, and the church, the pastor, prayed for him. And God healed him of his cancer. And God told me that I am to pray for your cancer. And so right there where she worked, he and her, his, her, uh, his, his wife, they prayed for her. They laid hands on her. And when, when they were done and she went back about her day, She said, all during that day, she felt something different going on in that side of her body. And she went back to the doctor. And the doctor says, you are free of cancer. And she was just beaming from ear to ear and just talking about, that's the God I serve. My God is big. Maybe you're going through an impossible situation right now. The odds are against you and you don't feel so mighty. I want you to know this morning that God sees you as a mighty warrior. And the point of this story, church, is that God's not looking for Donald Trumps to take on the world who think there's something. The God of the impossible is looking for people who know that they're weak. That don't pretend. Who understand that they can't do anything Without God. That you need God no matter what. And if you're facing an impossible situation, I want you to know this morning, if you're feeling weak, you're qualified for God to use you. And in fact, God knows your fear. We see when Gideon got down to that 300 number, you know, the story's not over. He's got 300 guys that lap water like a dog. And he doesn't have, even have any weapons. 
Okay, the the enemy, 135,000 of them, I mean, they are well fortified. They've got their weapons. What does Gideon have? He has, he has trumpets, jars, and torches. Gideon's fearful. So here it is, the middle of the night, before battle, and God knows Gideon's fear. And in Judges chapter 7, verses 9 and 10, God tells Gideon, Gideon, if you're afraid, go down to your enemy's camp and listen to a conversation. Gideon was afraid. And so he went down and he listened to the conversation. And he listened to people who were afraid of Israel's God. A dream that they had had that Gideon was going to conquer them. And so Gideon goes back. He knows God is in this. And with trumpets, jars, and torches, 300 people take on 135,000 soldiers. And Israel wins. The Bible says 100. And 20,000 people died that day. How did, how did Gideon do it? Gideon didn't do it. God did it. God had put fear in the enemy's heart. They turned on each other. And God got the glory with 300 people. Are you weak this morning? Gideon was weak. God knew it. And God came to Gideon in his fear. Look at Acts chapter 18. Acts chapter 18 and the Apostle Paul. You know, we think of the Apostle Paul and we think that, uh, man, this, this is a guy that he, he didn't fear. All that he had, uh, he, all that he had faced and he didn't bat an eye. Look at Acts chapter 18, verse 9. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision. You know when our fear really rises up in our spirit? In the middle of the night. For me, it's 3 o'clock in the morning, baby. You know, I, I can just wake up and my heart's going pitter-pat because there's th- something I'm thinking about that I have no business thinking about. And I'm letting my giant become bigger than my God. Well, here's Paul In the middle of the night, verse 9, and God says, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent. For I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. You go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and read what happened in Paul's life. But God is saying, do not be afraid. 
I am with you. You have 1 Corinthians 1, 27, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. God uses weak people. But the interesting thing is, church, the things that happen in our life don't always turn out like Cheryl in Salt Lake City. It didn't turn out that way for the nine Christians who took a bullet to the head because they were followers of Christ last week. It didn't turn out that way for the 12 uh, Syrian missionaries who were beheaded or crucified uh, the end of August. God is still greater. Jesus says, don't fear those who can kill you. Fear me who can cast the soul into hell. Paul believed those words to the end of his life. To live is Christ. To die is gain. There was one missionary lady, a uh, Syrian lady, uh, witnesses say she was about to beheaded, be beheaded. And she looked up and her last word was Jesus with a smile on her face. Her God was bigger than her enemy. And her life speaks volumes. And you're thinking to yourself, how can they live like that? How can they do that? They can't. But God can. The Christian life, friend, isn't about us living our life for him. It's about him living his life through us. Don't forget that. You know, we get caught up in trying to live my life. right. No, we are just a, a vessel. We are an instrument that God wants to use to live his life through us that he might get the glory. Look at Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and get, gave himself up for me. Christianity is about what God can do, not what we do. God says, I will fight this fight. I will fight your battle. You trust me. And that, my friend, is the gospel story. It's not about what we do for Jesus. It's about what Christ has done for us. What's our role? Our role is to trust and obey. Just like that song says, there is no other way. And Jesus, Jesus fought the greatest battle for you and I. 
over my eternal destiny. Over your eternal destiny. It is God and God alone that saves. It's his death on the cross and his resurrection from the grave that makes us right with God. I had an opportunity to tour uh, the temple grounds, the Mormon temple grounds uh, this week in Salt Lake City. Friends, that is a religion that is based upon man's effort. I didn't know this, but I learned that learned this week that when the Mormons take communion, their communion is bread and water. Why not grape juice? Why not wine that symbolizes, recognizes the, the blood shed for us? Because there's effort on their part that's required for their salvation. My friends, it's only what Jesus has done for us. Look at Romans chapter 4, verse 5. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. That's the gospel. And the gospel is spelled out in both the Old and the New Testament. It's God and God alone that delivered his people. When we look at the Exodus story and Israel being delivered from the hands of Pharaoh, from the uh, slavery in Egypt, what saved them? The sa- what saved them was the blood of the Lamb. And as they applied the blood of the land to the doorpost of their home, the angel of death passed over them. They believed that the blood of the lamb would save them out of the hands of self. It's a picture of the gospel. It's a picture of what Jesus would do in our life. So who does God use? God uses those who know that they're weak, Gideon knew he was weak. God uses those who trust and obey obey God. Those who trust and obey God win. We come to him in faith. Jesus and Jesus alone saves. But that doesn't mean we just sit on the sidelines and God does it for us for the rest of our life. No. We have a responsibility to trust him and to obey him. Gideon had to go into battle. And there was big trust, guys, because all he had was a trumpet and a torch and a jar. How in the world is he going to defeat 135,000 people? Well, he didn't know how until he got in the game and showed that trust. By obeying God. What are you afraid of? I want you to know this morning, friend, that God sees you as a mighty warrior. You see what you can't do. God sees what he can do through you. If you will trust him but you have to admit that you're weak. 
in a moment, we're going to take the Lord's Supper. And I, I apologize for the length of this service this morning. I think this message is really important. God wants to be your victor. If you're here this morning and you don't have a, a relationship with Jesus Christ, you're in this fight, but you're in it all alone, you don't have to be. God knows your name. He knows your fear. And he wants to empower you. He wants to encourage you. And so I want to take a moment and give you an opportunity to invite Christ into your life. If that's a decision you know that you need to make, I want to invite you to make that decision right now. Would you bow your heads with me, please? I want to pray. Father, I thank you for the life of Gideon, a person who was nobody special, who had a lot of, who had zero self-confidence and didn't know, God, what you could do. And there may be a person here this morning who doesn't have a relationship with you. And God, today they know that they need you. I thank you that you're a God who hears that prayer. My friend, if I'm praying about praying about you this morning, you can just pray this simple prayer in your heart. Lord God, I need you. I desperately need you. I am weak. I have failed and I need your rescue. I need your deliverance. Forgive me for how I have failed you and lived my own life. Today, by faith, I believe you died for me. And you did the impossible. You came out of that grave. You conquered sin and death. And God, I don't understand it all. But by faith, I trust you this morning. Thank you for hearing my prayer. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen.